Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. Hey, this is Morgan Lee. I'm an assistant editor here at Christianity Today, and you are listening to Quick to Listen. I'm joined, as always, by Caitlin, but hey. also Caitlin plus company. <laughs> yeah, we do have a special guest in in the studio live with us. I am Caitlin Beatty. I'm the print managing editor of Christianity Today, and I'm excited to kick off another episode of Quick to Listen. The topic this week is it's the controversy surrounding it is basically going on in real time. We actually changed our focus a little bit given the reactions that we're seeing on Twitter. I know we've got everyone's interest is peaked <laughs> right now. We haven't talked about what it is. Well, we're not talking about Brangelina, although maybe we should. We are joined <laughs> this week um, in studio by Matt Swarens. Hey, Matt. Hey, it's great to be here. Good to see you. Matt is the U.S. Director of Church Mobilization for World Relief, the humanitarian arm of the National Association of Evangelicals. He is the author most recently of Seeking Refuge on the Shores of the Global Refugee Crisis with former head of World Relief Stephen Bauman and Isam Smear. He has advocated in the past for just and compassionate immigration policies, and he lives with his wife and two children in Aurora, Illinois, about 30 minutes from here. Then we also have Nina Shea. Hi, Nina. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm sure a lot of our listeners know Nina's name. She's been an um, expert on international religious freedom issues quoted in CT many times over the past several years. She's a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, where she has directed the Center for Religious Freedom for 10 years, and she founded the center 30 years ago. She's an international human rights lawyer and works on advancing individual religious freedom and other human rights issues amid the rise of Islamic extremism. She was a commissioner for the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, and her most recent book is called Persecuted, The Global Assault on Christians. Thank you both Nina and Matt for being with us this week. Well, great to be with you. Yeah, it's great to be here. So before we dive into a conversation about refugees, I just want to let everyone know that Quick to Listen is made possible by people who pay and subscribe to Christianity Today magazine. We offer redemptive and honest coverage of people, events, and ideas that shape the church and culture. And we encourage everyone that's a supporter of this podcast and that really enjoys it or that enjoys our content online to subscribe. It is $10 a year. And the way that you can access the $10 a year is by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen. So that's orderct.com slash quick to listen. Just a really quick note, we had this 60th anniversary celebration at a quarterly lunch this this morning with the whole staff. And one of our fellow editors, he looked at the original rate of CT 60 years ago was $5 for a year-long subscription. If you count in inflation, that takes us up to like $55. And yet, normal subscribers can get a one-year subscription for $20 
quick to listen listeners can get it for 10. So this is an amazing deal that you really can't pass up. So this week on the podcast, we are going to be talking about refugees in Europe, in the U.S. And to kind of kick off this conversation, we wanted to comment on a tweet that you may or may have not seen that was sent out by Donald Trump Jr. last night that may or may not have compared refugees to candy. So I'm just going to read to you what the text of the tweet said. If I had a bowl of Skittles and I told you just three would kill you, would you take a handful? That's our Syrian refugee problem. And then he added, this image says it all. Let's end the politically correct agenda that doesn't put America first. The image is a bowl of Skittles. Correct. And so as you can imagine, when this kind of came out on Twitter, many people on Twitter who are prone to having very strong reactions and feelings about things reacted very strongly or snidely or snarkily. For the record, Wrigley, which is the company that owns Skittles, issued a response which said Skittles are candy, people are refugee or refugees are people, and we don't feel that this is an appropriate analogy. So once again, refugees are kind of in the news Well, last year, I guess I want to back up and say that President Obama announced that the U.S. would be um, admitting more Syrian refugees, and they're actually done, to my knowledge, of accepting Syrian refugees this year. They've admitted a little bit more than 10,000, which is how much President Obama said they were going to admit last year. And one of the things that people have also been tracking is the number of Christian Syrian refugees that were also admitted to the U.S., Right now, there has not been very many. I'm going to look to Nina and Matt to kind of fill in the blanks about why that is and what that number looks like right now. Part of the reason that that has been a big deal, as many of you know, is that ISIS has specifically targeted Christian refugees over the past couple of years. So we want to talk about all of this, but first for our gut check, which is, you know, the time where we give you that raw and frank response, we want to talk about this Skittle meme. And Caitlin, maybe you can tell me how you feel about it first. Yeah, I just saw it this morning. I mean, obviously, it's awful. I feel like that's kind of unquestioned. But what it what it is actually effective at is imagine it's an actually an effective visual metaphor. If you think about eating Skittles, knowing that three could kill you, you're not going to eat any Skittles. Like it's just easy. So even though I really dislike it, I also think it's actually very good communication and it's rhetorically effective. Partially because like Skittles are like a good candy too, right? Yeah. I'm not going to stop until I have to. (laughs) I would just say that my reaction was, do I have to pay attention to this? That is not the best reaction I know, but almost like, are we going to argue about this again? I don't really want to pay attention to all of this. I'm impressed that you were able to kind of like lean into the metaphor and think about what the argument was trying to make. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not a surprising thing to see come from the Trump campaign. He's made several comments in the past about um, refugees, people living in other countries being threats to the United States and to our to our way of life. And so this fits a pattern, you know, so sadly, I wasn't surprised. So I kind of want to kick off this discussion by just saying, like, what is the state of refugees in the U.S. right now? And then we'll drill down and talk about Christian refugees in particular. Nina or Matt, who wants to take it first? Sure. Well, um, so the U.S. government has stated its goal during this fiscal year, which is uh, will be over in 10 days, to resettle about 85,000 refugees from around the world. That's less than one half of 1% of the refugees in the world. So the U.N. estimates that there's somewhere around 21.3 million refugees in the world. So it's not a large number in terms of the overall share of the world's refugees, but 85,000 is a lot of people. It's a, it's a 
It's an increase over last year when there was 70,000 refugees. It's not a historic high. If you go back to 1980, we had more than 200,000 refugees who were resettled to the United States. But it is a significant number of people. And, and our passion at World Relief is really to say, how do we help the local church be part of welcoming those families as they arrive? They're not all from Syria. Um, this year, it's been around 12,000 from Syria, which is a lot more than last year. Uh, but it's still not the number one country of origin for refugees. Um, that This year, I think, will be the Democratic Republic of Congo followed by Burma. And Burma has been the number one country for most of the last 10 years. But isn't it true, Matt, that uh, the United States takes in more refugees than any other country from the UN, from the UNHCR? That is true. At least it has been true in, in recent years, and I suspect it still will be. Like Canada has almost tripled the number of refugees they're bringing in, but it still won't re-equal the number that the U.S. has, has brought in. Right, right. We bring it in um, far more than other countries. And I think we also fund the UN more than other countries. You know, you have to see it in a context because as you said, it's really 85,000 is just such a drop in the bucket when you have 21 um, and a half million refugees in the world. Nina, I know that you've done a lot of work around looking for these Syrian Christians and advocating for them. Can you tell me the extent to which you know that Syrian Christians have been resettled here in the U.S. this year? Yeah, well, when I hear refugees from Syria, I immediately think of the um, exclusion of Christian refugees from that group. And I'm just talking about Syria now. It's not true for Iraq. But Syria Christian refugees um, constitute one half of 1% of the 11 or 12,000 that have come in uh, this year, even though they were about 10% of the Syrian population before the conflict started. The reasons for that are also disturbing. Uh, the reasons for not having a proportionate, at least a proportionate share of the Christians. First of all, they are facing genocide by ISIS. You alluded to that. Uh, on March 17th this year, Secretary Kerry, uh, Secretary of State, designated, officially designated the Christian community, the Christian minority in the Middle East facing genocide or part of the victim groups facing genocide from ISIS. And both houses of Congress have too um, this spring also made those designations, as has the EU parliament. So they are facing severe crisis right now. Genocide is the worst human rights uh, violation of all. And we're not, they're not coming into the United States in the proportion that would be even fair, much less given any kind of priority. You know, I've delved into why this is happening, and um, I find it very upsetting. Let me preface this by saying that the Secretary of State, after making his designation of genocide for Christians and Yazidis and Shia, has decided to really take no new action for the Christians. And instead, um, the administration is relying on the UN, particularly the UNHCR, the High Commissioner for Refugees, to take care of them, to do something about this. And instead, what we're seeing is that they are being all but excluded from the refugee program to the United States. They're not being referred. The U.S. takes its refugees from Syria through referrals by the United Nations, the UNHCR, the UN High Commissioner for Refugees. And the UN High Commissioner for Refugees is simply not referring them in the right number. So we have about, you know, equivalent to 10 families coming in this past year out of 10,000 refugees. Only 10 families? Yeah, about, wow. it's equivalent to, you know, it's like 63. 
is right, the number. Right, right. And, and wow. this, this is a part of a pattern that has held for five years since the conflict began, uh, a very disproportionately no, low number of Christians, not only Christians, but other non-Muslim minorities. So, for example, Yazidis, there were 17 Yazidis, only 17 uh, resettled in the United States over the last year. Now, uh, the Yazidis are a slightly different situation. There's, they're mostly in Iraq. They're not, you know, it is a small, a very tiny, tiny minority in Syria. And they um, really felt the brunt of this in um, when, when ISIS came in, in, in 14. But Christians have been persecuted severely. The genocide began really almost at the beginning of the conflict. You know, in, in, in 2013, you had bishops being kidnapped and disappeared. And, you know, the Christian town of Malula was invaded and a whole convent of nuns was taken captive. So, I mean, it, th- things have been really going a lot wrong for the Christians for a good three, three and a half years. Matt, what's your take about where these Christians may be? Yeah, I mean, this is a situation that I'm really concerned about as well. We certainly, um, of course, as a Christian, I have a particular concern for persecuted believers. And I think it is important to put this in the context of the whole U.S. refugee resettlement program, where if you look at the last 10 years, there's been more Christians of one tradition or another resettled to the United States than those of any other religious tradition. Um, So, for example, if you look at Burma, 70 percent of those have been Christians, primarily Anglicans or Baptists or Catholics. But I am, you know, we have been concerned about the Syrian numbers, which are very low. I think, you know, I pulled the numbers before coming over and now they have, they say there's 120 Christians of all traditions. And that's because there's been a lot coming in in the last month. Um, So, you know, that's the most recent data I've seen. But that is slightly less than 1% of all Syrian refugees. I think to me, the, the big question is, what are the total number of Syrian Christian refugees who are residing outside of Syria? Because a lot of my colleagues in the Middle East have said a lot of Christians have been internally displaced, but are, are trying to stay within the boundaries of Syria, um, which doesn't make them refugees under, you know, technically. And a lot of Christians are relatively safe in Damascus or, or other parts of, the, of Syria that are controlled by the government. That doesn't mean I'm satisfied with that. I think we want to see more Christians have the opportunity to be resettled. Um, one thing that we've advocated at World Relief is to, for the U.S. government, for the State Department, to use what's called a P2 designation, which is kind of complicated. But basically, it would be not just accepting U.N. referrals, but also um, directly registering people um, who are religious minorities, especially when there has been this designation of genocide. But I think it is important to note that the UN uh, refugee agency says that only about 1% of their registered refugees from Syria have been Christians. So it's not necessarily that they're disproportionate from those they're registering. I think the question is, is that because most Christians are still staying in Syria or is it because the UN is failing to register them? And if that's the case, is it, you know, why is that the case? Is that a flaw in their systems or is it intentional bias? I'm skeptical of the idea that this is an intentional bias simply because of the experience of other countries. Like if you look at Iraqi Christians, the U.S. has resettled more than 125,000 Iraqi Christians since 2007, and about 35% of them have been, I'm sorry, 125, the U.S. has resettled about 125,000 Iraqi refugees since 2007, and about 35% of them have been Christians. So, and those are situations where Christians definitely did flee the country, and many of them went to Jordan and, and were welcomed in by Jordan and prioritized for settlement because of the unique vulnerability of being a religious minority facing extreme persecution. Um, so I feel like I don't have all the facts on the Syrian situation. I don't know, Nina, you may be able to share more there. Yeah, well, I, I think we can all agree that refugees are not Skittles. So, um, you know, That's the fact definitely that, true. <laughs> Newsflash. Yeah, and that, the fact that we take a lot of Christians in from other countries does not compensate for the fact that the Christians who are facing genocide, the world's worst human rights crime, are not getting in. 
to the United States. Now, uh, Catholic News Service ran a piece when the U.S. Catholic uh, Bishops Conference delegation went over to Lebanon, to Beirut in January, and they uh, met with Christian refugees from Syria. They were besieged with appeals. These were refugees in Beirut, appeals to please take us, please get us out of here. Some, you know, one woman talked about how her, her daughter was uh, sexually abused in a in a refugee center there, and and she said that you know that we were we're suicidal because we're without hope. One of the refugees said, and I thought this was so revealing. They said that they had started the registration process, but the UN DAFR there did not complete it. I'm the vice chair of Ken and Andrew White, Vicar of Baghdad's foundation here in America, called Free Me, and um, we take care of some families, a Syrian. Christian families in Jordan and Amman, and I know that they have registered and they're just waiting, waiting, waiting to be referred. I, I think it's about 18,000 Christians from Syria have left to Armenia. These are Armenians. They have birthright, birthright citizenship there in Armenia, so they don't need a UN referral, and they have fled. Lord Weidenfeld, the Jewish um, journalist in England who died earlier this year, he airlifted uh, several hundred Christians from Syria or Syrian Christians to Eastern Europe, which was willing to take them without UN referrals. Uh, but basically, they are totally dependent on UN referrals. Now, I was told when I met with the um, State Department about this, I met with the um, new advisor for Near East Minorities, Knox Temps. He gave me a classified email, unclassified email, saying that the Christians weren't in the system because that was their determination, because they were urban refugees. In other words, they were in the capitals. Now, I, I don't understand that because there are UN registering offices in Beirut and Amman. So I, I don't know what that's about, but I do know that they do not go into the UN camps, the large UN camps in Jordan. Matt, I don't know if you've been in there or I know anything about that, the Zatari camp, but this is a massive camp run by the UN up by the Syrian border in Jordan, it has about 80,000 refugees that fluctuate. But, uh, you know, the, the, I have interviewed a Christian aid group that has gone in. They said it's a dangerous place for Christians. Christians don't want to go there because it's infiltrated by either ISIS or criminal gangs, and they are uh, taken hostage, they're murdered, they're raped. It's a very inhospitable place for the Christians, and so they don't go there. And I can't speak to the situation of the camp specifically, although it's interesting, my co-author Isam grew up in Mafrak, you know, a few miles from the Zatari camp. But I do know that the UN says that 92% of the registered refugees they have in Jordan and Lebanon are not in camps. They're living in urban areas. So they certainly are registering people, not only in a camp setting. And, and I'd say the families that we've resettled have largely, uh, from, the Syria, from Syria, have largely not come out of camp situations. They do have a posting on their website, the UNHCR, that says that this was a year ago, saying that they had a backlog of 19,000 refugees for the United States that they had cleared for referral to the United States. This is before the administration's ramped up program this fiscal year, um, and that they were waiting for the, the U.S. to accept them, and that they had come from the U.N. camps, the U.N. camps throughout the region. And it's so it's it's up there. I don't know. Well, the other reality is the U.S. only takes a pretty small percentage of the cases that are referred to them because and there's also a significant delay from yeah. when someone is, is referred. Um, contrary to what we've heard some politicians say, we do have a vetting process for refugees and it takes right. a long time, uh, usually at least 18 months, often often significantly longer. That's also a dynamic is 
if we look at the Syrian situation, the first people to flee from Syria were fleeing from the Assad government because that, the civil war started in 2011. Uh, ISIS emerged later, and ISIS is the group that has particularly been targeting Christians, and, and horrifically so. Um, but the first people out and the first people in line for registration with, with the UN would have been people fleeing bombings in most cases from, from the government, which is not a good government by any sense of the word, but has largely protected the historic Christian communities there. It's a government that has protected religious minorities for the most part. Um, and that's part of, I was talking to my, my co-author today who's spent a lot of time in the Middle East, and he said most of the Syrian Christians that he's interacted with, and he does a lot of mental health work um, with Syrian Christian communities, they come out to Lebanon or to Jordan where he does some training with them. Most of them are in the Damascus area where they're relatively protected. And so he said it's, you know, they're affected by the war certainly, but not, it's not the active war zone where most of them are. I'm just afraid that they're hidden uh, because they are afraid and they go to seek private aid rather than the UN and, and that they are somehow invisible. I had a chance last year to speak to, to question the, the head of the UNHCR, the High Commissioner himself, Guterres, here in Washington. And it was at a, a press conference. So it was a public event. It's recorded, held by the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. And I asked him about the discrepancy about the Christians not being part of our refugee resettlement here in the United States. It's like 99 and a half percent Muslim. He, he denied, actually, that it was inadvertent and said that the reason was, was that because he believed as a Catholic that the, the Christians belonged in the Middle East and that they shouldn't leave and that, that the Christians are part of the DNA of the Middle East. And uh, which, of course, I agree with that they are part of the DNA, that, that they've been there since, uh, you know, Syrian Christianity has existed since the Pentecost, 50 days after Easter. So he went on to say that the former president of Lebanon was his friend and had begged him, had appealed to him not to resettle outside of the region, outside of Lebanon, the Christians. Uh, refugees from Syria. That got me thinking that it was actually for some kind of geopolitical goals of, you know, that that, that's the reason why uh, Christians were deliberately not being referred by the UN. Um, And, um, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he said in a public session to the answer to my question. And that is frankly illegal. I mean, these should be decided on individual basis on on eligibility and uh, need and fear of persecution and, and so forth. So I, I find it disturbing. I think that we really need to drill down into this far more than has been done and not accept all these rumors. Well, I, you know, I've heard everything from, oh, well, Christians want to stay in Syria, which I don't get because, you know, everybody else is leaving in droves. Why wouldn't, the, why wouldn't there be more than 63 or 120? It's, it's a minuscule number. This episode is brought to you by smallgroups.com. Find everything you need to build, grow, and maintain a healthy, thriving small group ministry. Smallgroups.com equips you to develop your ministry model and train your leaders, to nurture spiritual growth in group members, to troubleshoot typical group problems, and also to avoid common pitfalls. Whatever your role in developing life-changing community, we have resources for you. Visit smallgroups.com today. Obviously, as Christians, we care a great deal about caring for other Christians in other parts of the world, If and we care especially if they are being intentionally kept out of these refugee resettlement programs because they are Christians. At the same time, zooming back, 
I, I have a hard time making a Christian case for not allowing Muslims into the country. So at some point, at some level, the religious identification of the people who are being who are under threat of violence and losing their homes and losing their families and losing their children and being raped in refugee camps, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, I mean, I would say that from from our perspective, we absolutely are concerned about the plight of persecuted Christians, and, and we get to serve many persecuted Christians from around the world. But we're also driven by this command to love our neighbor. And the example Jesus gives us of what it means to love our neighbor is defined broadly. It's a Samaritan who's caring for a, a Jewish person, someone of a different religion, a different ethnicity. And at the end of the day, each of these individuals is made in the image of God with incredible human dignity and potential. And we absolutely want to see more Christians uh, resettled if that's what they're seeking. Uh, we'd like to see more Muslims resettled as well. Um, actually, our position at World Relief has been that that in a global refugee crisis, the U.S. could actually be doing more, um, going back to some of the levels that we did back in the early 1980s, for example. And that would benefit both Christians and Muslims. And we, we are concerned to make sure that it's that religion is not being used to disqualify anyone, certainly, um, whether they're Christians or Muslims or Yazidi or another religious minority, that it should be based on vulnerability and on meeting that legal definition of a refugee. The, the trick, of course, is there are many, many vulnerable refugees. The U.S. is accepting a very small percentage of those. So there will always be very vulnerable cases who don't get accepted in the United States. Well, that all sounds very good and very rational and everything, but um, and very loving. But frankly, uh, it, the situation is extremely dire for the Christians. They are facing genocide. That is the worst crime in the world. They are being wiped out as a community or in danger of it. And this has been determined by Secretary Kerry, the administration, and the two houses of Congress. So it's not just me saying this. It's it's more than a human rights crime. And, and also the uh, fact is that no one is saying that, you know, I'm not saying, no one in this conversation is saying keep out Muslims. What, we're, what I'm saying is that not only are the Christians not being referred for resettlement as refugees by the UN, or, you know, that, that that's what the UNHCR has told me, and that's what the database shows of the State Department. But also, uh, they're not being sheltered by them because their camps are too dangerous. They're too inhospitable for them. Also, the UN Commission of Inquiry on Syria was a very influential, uh, prestigious commission that was established by the UN to advise it on Syria, came out with a report on June 15th, omitting Christians from its finding of genocide and, and saying that Christians actually are treated with respect as people of the book by ISIS, and they get a chance to pay a jizya or a tax and live in community, in the Christian communities as Christians under ISIS under in ISIS territory. All of that is false. I just did a major report on that, uh, which is on my website. All of that is completely false. It's ISIS propaganda that has been unexamined, unsubstantiated. There is absolutely no footnotes or anything for that statement. I don't hear anyone saying that the persecution of Christians doesn't matter. I mean, <laughs> all of our listeners are incredibly concerned about the plight of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Syria, in Iraq, in parts of the Middle East where they face threats. I think you can say that and also say that we have a command to care for our neighbors regardless of religious affiliation. And no one in this room, of course, would say we shouldn't let in Muslims. But that's the very kind of message and fear that that Donald Trump's campaign is able to play on by comparing refugees to Skittles. First of all, obviously, there's theological problems with comparing human beings made in the image of God to candy. But it's also just, like you said, Caitlin, it's a good rhetorical tool, but it's based on bad data. 
because uh, the Cato Institute actually did an analysis just a couple a week or so ago. They looked at all the refugees who have been admitted to the United States since the 70s and the number of deaths through terrorist activity by refugees. There's been none since 1980. But if there's a, Cu- a Cuban, or one or two Cuban individuals going back to the 70s who committed an, an act of terrorism, and if you include that, the odds of being killed by a refugee who commits t- terrorist activity in the United States for an American is 1.36 billion. So the number of Skittles is off, if you want to use that very <laughs> crude analogy. Yeah. W- would you say, though, that, Matthew, that some of these fears, though, are like when when we go over and look at all the different terrorist attacks that have happened in Europe, and obviously that's taken into account a lot of different things. Their system of asylum versus refugee status yes. is different. I think that's a huge part of the challenge right now. And I mean, I... Had a, some gentle pushback with our Moody Publishers um, friends because the cover of our book is a nice raft going to, you know, it looks like a raft going to Europe. And I told them when we had that cover, you know, that's the misconception that people have about the United States refugee program, that people are just showing up on shore and we have no idea who they are. And that's not how it works here. Here there's this very thorough vetting process. What Europe has is an asylum seeker crisis and numbers far beyond what the United States has has been dealing with. Um, but they're essentially trying to vet people after the fact. Now, it is worth noting that most of these terrorist attacks, certainly the most prominent ones like Paris or Belgium, have been perpetrated by European nationals. At this point, those are the only confirmed. They haven't been refugees. They haven't been refugees. Mm -hmm. That hasn't stopped a lot of people from being very afraid. But the reality is a refugee who's been vetted before coming to the United States is a very different situation than someone who is showing up from Syria to Jordan or then onto Turkey or onto Europe. Um, And that vetting process is incredibly thorough. It involves background checks with the Departments of State, Homeland Security, the defense, the FBI, the National Counterterrorism Center. It's actually the most thorough vetting that any category of visitor or immigrant to the United States is required to undergo. So it, it's frustrating to me that with 70 million visitors to the U.S. last year, some politicians have fixated on the 70,000 who came last year through the most thorough vetting process we have. What I fear is that the United States is turned over our refugee program on Syria to the U.N. when there's proven indifference to this genocided minority, the Christians. I think that the administration or Congress needs to reach beyond the UN to bring in these other um, very, very needy Christians uh, because they're being dealt out of the deck. And there is a bill in Congress that I'd like to plug. It's 5961, House Resolution 5961, that calls for P2 status, which Matt mentioned earlier, for the genocide minorities. This is on top of the UN program. This is not to replace it, but to make sure that no one is left out who is facing genocide and to give aid directly to them. And, And so I would encourage your listeners to get in touch with their member of Congress to support uh, 5961, because that's really their only hope. Uh, We have handed over the program to the UN, and the UN really is not doing much for them, for this subset, this uh, this very, very vulnerable minority. So we have a story on our site that came out last week about Hungary and the fact that Hungary opened a specific government office that is specifically there to address the persecution of Christians in the Middle East and in Europe. I just kind of wanted to hear your guys' thoughts about, you know, a secular government in this case opening up an off- a governmental office specifically designed for a particular people group. The prime minister of Hungary notably said that this war is a great opportunity for the supporters of nation states with Christian roots, kind of saying, you know, linking 
these Christians who are affected in the Middle East with the Christians that are here in Hungary. I was with with Prime Minister Orban in the Vatican a couple of weeks ago. We met with Pope Francis along with some other legislators from around the world. I was able to discuss with the Holy Father some of these issues, and I can tell you that Hungary is not going to be able to do it alone. I mean, we're going to have to reach out to the Christians, as we do with the Muslims, and the Yazidis to open up our doors to them. I get calls all the time and emails from Christian people from around the country saying, we'd love to have a Christian in our home and you know, welcome in our church. Our church wants to sponsor them. They're, it's impossible. You can't get these refugees here without visas. And that has to change. I would say that we've got plenty of Christian refugees coming in through World Relief and would love to have church sponsors, not from Syria primarily. We don't know a lot from Syria, but lots from Iraq and well, from no, Burma and from Syria. Congo. Yeah. I would just encourage people, while we advocate for Christian Syrian refugees, which I'm all for, and I would love to see that P2 designation, uh, we also have Christian families who are persecuted from Burma or from the Democratic Republic of Congo who don't have a church sponsor. So I'd love to encourage those people to think a little broader as well. Well, again, this is a, a genocide situation. And so it's it's not just any any kind of you know persecution. It is the very worst. And I think that's why people are opening up their hearts, um, in particular to Syrian uh, Christians. Thank you, everyone, for this really robust, thoughtful discussion. I invite everyone who has thoughts and feelings and opinions, all informed, of course, to reach out to us. We are on Twitter at CT Podcasts. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash CT Podcasts. Please continue the conversation with us there. We are going to transition to the time of the show called Precious Moments. This is when we ask everyone to kind of go around and share something that is encouraging them or bringing them joy at the moment, as well as any type of social media links or website that they want to direct our listeners to after this end of the conversation. So, Matt, you want to go first? Sure. Something I'm really excited about right now. You know, I was spending some time in Canada recently where they are resettling far more Syrian refugees per capita than we are in the United States. And a a person with the World Evangelical Alliance there described it to me as national euphoria around welcoming Syrian refugees. And for me, it was just really amazing to see how the church is stepping up. They have a very unique private private sponsorship model in Canada um, where churches can spend a pretty significant amount of money to welcome a refugee family. And just to hear how many churches are stepping up to that and how it is revitalizing churches as well as people who are coming from Various faith backgrounds are coming to faith in Jesus as they're welcomed by local churches. So we do that in the United States as well, but I was just challenged by the enthusiasm by our Canadian brothers and sisters. In terms of social media, I'm at Matthew Sorens. Sorens is S-O-E-R-E-N-S on Twitter, or you can find me on Facebook. And World Relief is on Twitter and Facebook as well. You can find out more about the work that we're doing to empower churches to serve the vulnerable. What's the name of your book? The book is called Seeking Refuge on the Shores of the Global Refugee Crisis. And you can find that uh, on the World Relief website or any bookstore. My precious moment is really weirdly connected to Matt's. So two weeks ago, I had the chance to interview Ann Voskamp at her home, about two hours west of Toronto. She has advocated for compassionate policies regarding Syrian refugees and other refugees very strongly for the past few years. And she and her family are actually kind of adopting a Syrian refugee family for the next year. They're supposed to arrive in October. And going back to what you were saying about the sponsorship model, they essentially adopt this family, provide everything that they need for a whole year. It's done through the Central Mennonite Committee. And just beyond the refugee issues, she's quite an amazing woman. So I am almost done with my profile for her. That will be in the November issue of CT. You can find me online on Twitter at Caitlin Beatty. And then I have a website too, CaitlinBeatty.com. 
Nina, what about you? Well, I guess my precious moment is a very Washington-based one. And I'm very thankful to be able to be part of coalitions of different political stripes and different religions and interfaith. And we are coming together. I'm working right now with the uh, Center for American Progress, which uh, is a Hillary Clinton think tank, and also with Donald Trump's team, Faith Advisors, to work on this issue of the refugees in the Middle East. We're meeting this week. It's uh, we all agree, and it's it's not uh, it's not contentious. We we want to find a way that makes this work. So I. I'm thankful for that because I know in you know heated campaigns in the past for presidential campaigns things can become very very polarized and I and I am very fearful that religious freedom itself will become a, a polarized issue and there's some really truly people who from all faith traditions who sincerely embrace it and from political traditions. My writings on all this can be found at Hudson.org. My latest report is called The ISIS Genocide of Middle Eastern Christian Minorities, and it's Jizya Propaganda Ploy, which is a mouthful. But I um, encourage anybody who wants to know, know more uh, to, to look at, take a look at that. My Precious Moments is also D.C. related. Caitlin and I are going to Washington, D.C. later this week for the Religion News Writer Association Conference. And... The conference is one of my favorite conferences that I've attended. There's a really strong camaraderie among people who are journalists and write about religion for a living. These are people that do come from a variety of faith backgrounds as well. I'm also excited to go to D.C. because I have different friends in the media that I'll be catching up with that are out of D.C. And I think I'm going to get to see my sister who lives in Richmond. You are welcome to follow me and my thoughts about this conference at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L and that's on Twitter. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. We are always grateful to have you guys as listeners. Thanks to our producer, Richard Clark and Cray Allred. Special thanks to Kate Shellnut. Please rate and review us on iTunes if you like the podcast. That's the biggest way, actually, even though we like seeing when you tell us on social media and tell us. The biggest way to really tell us that is to go on iTunes and do that. And this podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Overcast, all of the above, most likely. And yeah, we will see you next week. Bye.